Yeah, that's a wizard. A hundred percent. Calling the game right now. Dressed like the Michelin man, ready to get my fuck on. A really good team that shouldn't have been. Well, seven different teams won conference championships. You obey not one of them. I just wanted to point that out. Welcome everybody to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris. This is Dom. We're just a couple of comics talking sports. What are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about the great Blue Jays pitcher, Dave Steeb, or Steve Dabe. <laughs> Depending on how you uh, want to pronounce it. <laughs> but one yes, of the Dave best, Steve. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of the best pitchers in the 80s. Yeah. I'll say that. I mean, this was a guy almost lost to history, if you think about it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a, his team never won the big one, although he was awesome. He actually finished, uh, interesting fact, with the highest war of any starting pitcher in the 1980s for our you analytics fans out there. And he, he had the uh, second most wins throughout the 80s. Yeah, I think, after as a Hall of Famer Jack Morris. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this guy, he was really good for about a seven, eight year window where yeah. he really just was one of the AL's best and MLB's best pitchers, starting pitchers. So On a uh, bad team. On it. Well, they did have some postseason yeah, runs, but okay. uh, wheels kind of fell off. But uh, let's get into it right now. Dave Steeb, uh, born July 22nd, 1957 in Santa Ana, California. Yeah. Um, his uh, dad, Pete, was a general contractor. And his mom, who we'll uh, bring up maybe a little bit uh, as he's playing baseball uh, in his high school and college years, uh, uh, Pat was a delivery driver for the San Jose Mercury. Oh, yeah. But uh, Dave and uh, one of his other brothers, I believe his name was Pete, too, uh, he was also a minor league player. Yeah, his brother was also really active in baseball. And yeah, baseball is kind of uh, what everything revolves around yes. for this family. Yes. And uh, Dave, as he's growing up, is not a pitcher. No, not a pitcher at all. In fact, his parents discouraged him, particularly his mom, from pitching. She uh, didn't want him to waste his arm. Yeah. And so Steve ended up Steve ended up in the outfield and uh, did a pretty good job. Yeah, he was a pretty good outfielder all throughout uh, high school and then getting into college. So he's literally playing outfield this entire time. Yeah, There's he's no... a full-time outfielder. Yeah. It's not like he's moonlighting as a pitcher. His high school coach, John Becca at uh, Oak Grove High School, said uh, he didn't want pitching to interfere with his hitting. Yeah. So he was like dead set on being a pro baseball player not a pitcher. Not a pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> that's pitcher the thing. Not a pitcher at all. Um, uh, his San Jose City College coach um, even said, uh, maybe being in the outfield saved his arm. Yeah, but for later in his career. Later so. in his career, definitely. He ends up at uh, Southern Illinois University and uh, does a pretty good job as an outfielder. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays scout uh, Don Welke uh, encouraged the organization to take a look at him because he could run, he could throw, he could hit, pretty much anything you're looking for in an outfielder. Well, I, I, I want to say this. So as an outfielder being scouted, they said he was good, not great. Yeah. So, I mean, there were possibilities of of him being taken, but nobody was like, oh, man, I want to get this guy. And I want to get him before another team because other teams are – there was nothing like that. Nobody's banging the table for him. They're just like, oh, his name comes up in the 16th round. Of yes. course we'll take him. Exactly. He's a body. He can play. I exactly. mean, he's not terrible. We'll see if any of those really improve because, really, he was just good at this. And then what happened? Because this is what I found probably one of the more fascinating stories about Dave Steve was like, he's playing outfield. He's playing outfield. Uh, a specific day, May 3rd, 1978, his last year at Southern Illinois. They're yep. playing Eastern Illinois in a game in Charleston, Illinois. 
And they have uh, Bobby Maddock, um, director of player development for the Toronto Blue Jays, and scout Al Lamakia in attendance for this game to look at Steeb. Yep. And not really impressed with him as an outfielder. No, like you said, if they were going to pick him up, it would be one of the last rounds as somebody was like, we'll see if he improves, but it's not... Nobody else was looking at him. This guy will play maybe two seasons of minor league ball and wash out if he stays in outfield. Yeah. But a stroke of fate happens in this game. Uh, going back earlier that season, um, Southern Illinois had some injuries at the pitching position. And they needed guys to throw BP. Steve threw BP. And the coaches were like, are you freaking kidding me? Because it was like an elite pitcher. It was so, it came so natural to him, yep. oddly enough, what I had read and what I've seen in his major league career. But just like, you didn't really have to teach him much. So they were basically like, you're our emergency pitcher. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to use you because you'll be in the outfield. But with the way our depth chart is, we might need you to throw some innings for us. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, I feel like if he wasn't so adverse to being a pitcher, they would be like, no, 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 we're moving you to a pitcher. You're without a doubt a better pitcher than you'll ever be as an outfielder. But he was so adverse to it that he was just like, yeah, I guess you could use me if like you desperately need it. Lucky for him, they desperately needed him while the Blue Jays were scouting him. So like, it, it, that's what I mean, where like it was definitely fate for him to just be become this Blue Jay. He had said at that time, I didn't even think I could figure out what an ERA is. Yeah. That's how like not focused on pitching and so focused on being an outfielder that he and was. And hitter. That's, yeah, and hitter too. Yeah. But during this game, um, like I said, fate happens. Yeah. And they call on Steeb out of the outfield to come and pitch, and he's lights out. And according to the Blue Jays scouts, their eyes were bulging out for him. They were just amazed by what they saw. Well, and then on top of this, this is something else that I want to say. So he was a great pitcher that they saw that nobody was scouting to be a pitcher because nobody else saw this thing that they saw. So that's something else where I bet they were like, oh, man, he could probably be top three as a pitcher, but we're going to snatch him up later because we're the only ones that really know. They, and they had even said, we weren't going to draft him as an outfielder. But no. when we, we weren't even going to draft him at all after watching him play. But after we saw him pitch, oh, yeah, it's on now. Yeah. And at the time, because I don't know how it just came so natural to him, they were discussing in this old Sports Illustrated article that the conversion for a pitcher from infield to outfield as opposed to just being a pitcher is actually quite natural because you're always throwing to a target. Oh, yeah. And you have a lot of tools to work with that can be refined, but they, um, one of their scouts was saying, like, no, it just everything came naturally to him developing as a pitcher. I wonder if it, he focused in on hitting so much, too, that, like, he really understood what hitters were thinking. Were thinking. That yeah. also probably came into play. I feel like it was all of it, not really not pitching throughout high school and and college. And you're right, having this, like... more easy to to adapt to being a pitcher I I feel like so like this is the the transition like you were saying like was so seamless yeah and you know I'm sure he has a a ridiculous baseball IQ so it's not like he's flying blind out there yes but uh the coaches were talking about how because they needed him you know seeing him in BP and their pitching staff was kind of hampered and whatnot he didn't even throw a pitch until April 1st of that year. Mind you, this game takes place May 3rd. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But um, 
uh, his uh, college coach said, whose name is Itchy Jones. Oh, which I is, saw that. Oh, yeah. Just beautiful. I just mean, a beautiful name. You know, Itchy, what does he have? You know, psoriasis, crabs. We don't know. But he said, the scouts didn't know he was going to pitch that day. We didn't even know he was going to pitch that day. Yeah. And they saw two of the 17 innings he pitched all year. It's like, man, pick a time to really come through and show your shit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's drafted uh, 78 uh, later that, I believe, June in the fifth round, yeah. actually. So, I mean, rapidly improved his uh, draft stock. <laughs> right From there. not being drafted, I don't think any other team was looking to draft him, to literally being like a... a Blue Jays were like, man, this guy could really be something. Yeah, no, totally. So um, he joins the Blue Jays organization. Now, mind you, 1978, this franchise is not even a full two years old yet. Yes. They're, like, they're a brand spanking new expansion franchise. Not a heck of a lot of talent. Steve is probably like, I didn't know they had a team probably. <laughs> but uh, goes to uh, the summer of 78, he um, goes to... Uh, single a Dunedin as a pitcher outfielder so yeah. he's still trying to live that dream well he was still trying to say hey I know you guys drafted me as a pitcher but I'm really an outfielder and I feel like as soon as he got out there they were just like yeah you're never gonna play outfield no you're not Ever. yeah uh, part of me hopes they were kind of condescending just like oh silly no you're not probably no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially for these minor league guys to really just knock it out of them, just be like, no, you're here to pitch. Don't even get that thought in your head that you're going to play left field. And in, you know, like this is just like a perfect just like face plant into reality for him. He's DHing an outfield on days that he's not starting yeah. in this short season um, there in Florida. He hit only 192, which is what a pitcher would hit, yeah. basically, even though he's later in the American League. Um, but he went 2-0 and with a 2.0 ERA, 2.08 ERA in 26 innings. So after that, it was decided, finally, because he had, at this time, he only had two pitches, but they were both devastating. Like, his fastball was just straight gas, but it had, like, a little bit of a dip to it. Yep. Like, it would move down. Like, it was just a very heavy fastball. Well, they would say it was a high fastball that, for some reason, kept going into the strike zone. Yeah. And every guy was just like, oh, that's coming at my eyeballs. And then they would be like, oh, shit, that was at my nipples. Just so. like a hard-sinking fastball. Yep. And he's starting to develop now this amazing slider you That's talk about everybody. sliders of the yeah. 80s that are the best dave steve if he's not number one he's number two because that shit moves east to west at a or, yeah east to west at a ridiculous rate I and mean, it looks like a fastball coming out of his hand that was why people were talking about this was he literally had two pitches for a long time and it was so hard to decide which one it was he also this was and i have to say this was the brushback era oh yeah and he was notorious for that he's so. kind of an asshole but like in a man of his time asshole way super Not, competitive yeah just like very dickish very macho especially with that tom Selleck mustache oh that's worth a google but an intimidating guy for at that time he's 6'1 190 pounds yeah you know and he's a menace on the mound you can yeah. still pitch inside and that's you know kind of what he did his throughout his career well it, it was he was very intimidating and when you you're allowed to do the inside game and brush guys back 
it really gets into their head. So yeah. with this slider too, that you're like, oh no, that's kind of coming at me and it snaps right back the other way. Like you should watch some of these. They they yeah. have it where they draw it out now because I mean, obviously in the eighties, they weren't drawing the trajectory. And you're just Computers, like, what where? are those? Exactly. <laughs> and you're just, and you see it though. You're just like, whoa, that the drop and the, just the huge hook on it. It is, he really he had these two. One. In the strike zone, and then it'll be in the opposite batter's box as the guy just aimlessly flails. It's yeah. like uh, you need a cricket bat there, Rad Raff. Well, like, that's the thing. Coming at him, it looks almost like the exact same pitch. That's why he was. That's what they said is he perfected these two pitches early on. He's been and that was it full time for a year. <laughs> yeah, that's all he had. <laughs> but uh, he goes to the instructional league um, after that uh, season in Dunedin. Um, it's also down in Florida, and he worked with the uh, Blue Jays pitching instructor Bob Humphreys. And he, he just said the guy was a natural. Yeah, that's All he needed was maybe another pitch or two, which he eventually developed. He a had curve. this great, they call it a dead fish curve. Yep. It just dies. Yep. It just goes, you know, north to south, just dies. And then an effective changeup. I mean, four awesome pitches developed within, what, a year or two? Yeah. I mean, but really, his uh, his bread and butter is the slider and the fastball. Yes, yeah. But you're right. He has these other pitches that, and this is what I saw, like we were saying, saw uh, saw his coach say was just like he picked those up that summer. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like literally, he's an outfielder coming. He was just like, nah, I've never thrown a changeup. And then he was just like, you do it like this. He's like, oh, like this. Like that's kind of how fast he did it. It's kind of ridiculous. Guys take years to develop these pitches, and the foresight of these, you know, people in the Blue Jays organization. My yes. God, like, kudos to you and kudos to Steve for working, you know, your tail off to do it well. So in '79, um, again, in Class A ball, eight starts, and he goes five and zero. And mind you, at this time, Toronto is crappy. Well, and they're brand they new. Need pitches. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, and they need pitchers. So he's promoted up to AAA that same season in 79. So mind you, hasn't even been pitching two se- full seasons yet. Goes to AAA Syracuse. Starts seven games. And then he's in the show yep. in 1979. So two years under his belt. And he's literally starting for the Blue Jays in 79. That's the thing that... I find to be ridiculous, but you see he was not intimidated. He wasn't, you know what I mean? He didn't shy away from this. He had that attitude where it's just like, oh, okay, I'm in the majors. I expected to be here. Yeah. Let's go wreck some stuff. Also, I feel like the expectations weren't super high, which is what you want for a young pitcher coming in. And you know what? I was thinking the same thing about his, like, development. And it's like, granted, the guy is a natural, but, like, you go to a – organization that believes in you you go to an organization that's like no you're gonna do this we're sending you to the right people to kind of you know help you master your craft and now we're promoting you to a team that's crappy where expectations aren't high so you can learn on the fly and get better yeah there's like nobody's gonna be writing angry you know stuff in the press over you losing a game when you're 30 games out of first place yeah and you're a rookie coming in and you're a rookie with basically no pitching experience yeah it's it's quite a interesting just path that he got to the majors because you almost never see this oh totally so he's promoted uh june 29th 1979 um in a loss to the baltimore though but he pitches six innings uh five strikeouts six hits and uh five runs but he really comes on towards the end of the season and is the first blue jays starter to finish 
with a non-losing record that year. I thought that was ridiculous. So Eight and eight, yeah. Their only pitcher was this rookie that they brought up that they were (laughs) – just want to put it in perspective. Who's your best pitcher? An outfielder. Yeah, (laughs) two years ago that they were scouting to be an outfielder, he brought up he was the only one that went 500. Which is fantastic. Um, Seven complete games. And what you'll see throughout his career, this is a time in Major League Baseball where – your arm didn't matter as no. much. And uh, even if you're a young pitcher, especially, could you imagine how they would have handled him now? He'd be going like three innings a start for maybe his first two seasons. Oh, yeah. But uh, seven complete games, one shutout in 129.1 innings pitched. And then the following season, a little bit of a down year, but he's basically become the ace of this staff in 1980. Um, I was going to say, they move him to be the number one guy, which then you're playing against the other number one guy, which... you're going to see losses and you saw his strikeouts go down and he's not we talked about this before the podcast though he's not a big strikeout guy he's a pitch to contact more than he is a strikeout guy more or less like he's getting the outs more by these guys swinging at crappy pitches and barely making contact well he wants more ground balls it's more democratic that way yes it is (laughs) that's what and that's the kind of pitcher he is though is yeah be, and because of the sink on those yep. pitches guys are going to be hitting a lot of toppers yep. you know lots of double plays things of that sort but uh 12 and 15 14 complete games and four shutouts that's him and he had almost 200 he had over 240 innings pitched you won't see a pitcher and nowadays the all-star team yeah he, this is his first all-star but you won't see a pitcher nowadays even like crack double digits in in complete games, and you see him do it every year. Yeah, where he's like, and I find this so interesting because I feel like the pitching staff used to be like way smaller, but it, they weren't. But it's just the usage is so different from the '80s to the '90s, and now now especially. Yeah, the '80s it was. Um, I mean, back up through the '60s, it was a three guy rotation. Yeah, and then through. Kind of the 70s and 80s, you'd have a four-guy rotation. Into the 90s, it was about four. And then the later 90s, when the steroid era, you know, came up, it's like, okay, maybe we need a fifth starter just to, like, you know, save these guys. But uh, following season 81, it's strike shortened, so his win total isn't necessarily as high. All-star again, 11 and 10. First time in Blue Jays history, a starter has a winning record now. Uh, 3.19 ERA, 11 complete games. Yep. 11. That's just crazy. And he finishes um, with two shutouts. And that's – he is the best pitcher on this stat. And by 82, Toronto's finally starting to acquire some more pieces to make possible postseason runs. So the team's getting a little bit more competitive. And then uh, in 82, um, finished fourth in the Cy Young that year, 17-14 and 14 record. He led Major League Baseball in complete games with 19 – and led the AL in shutouts with five. I think and the, innings pitched with 288.1 and batters faced. Well, I think and this is this look at this block of him in the 80s and we'll go on to more but like you see his arm is not tired whatsoever and this is the thing that I feel like his mom was talking about where she was just like yeah, your arm's going to be dead if you pitch high school, college, and he gets all the way to the majors, and he's literally, his arm's fresh, ready to go. He's a horse, man. Like, when you talk about a horse as a starting guy, like, I know we talked about it with Schilling, but this guy is just like, 
the reason he has so many complete games and shutouts is when you put him in, you're not even thinking about your bullpen unless things go haywire. He's what he starts, he'll finish. Yeah. Like, or no. he'll want to finish. Yeah. Um, 1983, um, 17 and 12 record, an all star again. Wasn't an 82, oddly enough. Um, 3.04 ERA, uh, 14 complete games, 278 innings pitched, and four shutouts. And Toronto is starting to finally start winning some games. They're kind of making some noise in that old AL East. Yeah, and they're starting to become a, a better team, not just a team with an, a, a good pitcher. And, I mean, when you look back at the history of this franchise, and we'll get into it at the end of his career, he's like their first marketable star. Oh, absolutely. He, I mean, he's um, not necessarily their first position player marketable, but, I mean, he's like the guy. Like, when you think Toronto Blue Jays in this era of the mid-'80s, it's Dave Steeb and then kind of – everybody else well i mean he's the first guy to really start racking up all-stars and all-star appearances and and stuff like that and you see him kind of as this face with this beautiful mustache of oh this, this beautiful mustache of this blue jay organization and and next stop flavor town if you know <laughs> what i mean ladies but that's the thing is he he really is just like on this bad team that's really starting to put the pieces together because early in the 80s they were bad now 84 they're starting to look like a real team yeah 84 16 and 8 2.83 era 11 complete games and he led the mlb, uh, MLB in innings pitched and yep. had his career high that year with 198 strikeouts which you know for some guys isn't necessarily that much but for him i mean he was pretty consistent in that kind of 170 plus i believe range yeah. which hey if you're completing all these games and winning them who cares, Who cares how you get the outs? Yeah. It's more democratic that way. Exactly. But um, that's the big thing with him was he was he didn't really change his style to get into that like striking out as more glamorous kind of stuff. He's not Nolan Ryan, but he's getting the same outs and walking a hell of a lot fewer batters. Yes. <laughs> um, 85 is when it all comes together for Steve in this franchise. Um, the team is great. Honestly, they probably should have won the World Series that year. Um, we'll get into the playoffs. But uh, 99 and 62... They've got great position players like George Bell, Jesse Barfield, and Lloyd Mosby in the outfield. Tony Fernandez is playing some shortstop for him early in his career. And then Steve and the staff finally comes together because you have a veteran, Doyle Alexander. You have Jimmy Key, who had a really successful career, and Jim Clancy. Um, he's an all-star again, 14 and 13. He led the AL in ERA that year. Oh, yeah. 2.48. Um 265 innings pitched, eight complete games. Um, and this is his first time and Toronto's first time in the postseason. And for those of you who don't know, back from 1969 to 1993, each league, American and National, was divided into two divisions, East and West. 1985 is also important, and it comes back to really screw the Blue Jays because it is the first season, because from 69 to 84, the LCS's, League Championship Series, were only five games. This was the first year that they were seven. That they went to seven. And it kind of bites Toronto in the ass. Yeah. But Steve is your game one starter in Toronto at Exhibition Stadium, and he wins the game. Eight innings pitched, uh, eight strikeouts. I was going to say, almost complete game. He pretty much just like takes this game in for them. Yeah, Tom Hankey, the Terminator, their longtime closer. Yep. He finished that one off. But, yeah, Steve was in control. 
Um, game four, in which he received a no decision, but the Blue Jays did end up winning. Um, six, uh, six and two-thirds innings pitched, one run. He had seven walks and six strikeouts, but his team got him three runs in the ninth inning to win yeah. the game. And this is game four, and the reason I bring this up is, had this been 1984 rules, the series is over. Yeah, Toronto up. is up three to one. That series should have been over. But George Brett and the rest of Kansas City kind of shit in their apple pie. For well, I mean, they word. come back and win three straight to go through. So that's you're right. It's tough to be in that first season of the of the seven series and lose on that. I believe Kansas City in that year's World Series also was down three to one. Oh yeah, and beat the Cardinals. That's in that, awesome. Uh, what was it? The Don Denkinger game where he completely <laughs> botched that call. Oh God. But uh, anyway, I, I did want to bring up, though, because this is the Blue Jays went to it. You know, they had their four man rotation. So Steve pitches game seven and he's cruising along. Uh, they're only down two to one in the fifth. But in the sixth inning, a three run triple to Jim uh, Sunberg, along with a Frank White single, put the Blue Jays down six to one and they just can't recover. No. And you're thinking, crap, this team will be really good for a long time. But you know, what could have been in 85, because they probably would have beat St. Louis and their light-hitting team yep. uh, in that uh, postseason. But uh, that's just one of those what could have been. If they would have stuck to a, a five-game series, they would have went through. They probably... It, Captain it's hindsight. one of those, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> 86 is kind of a down year for him, only 7-12. and 12. He has an ERA uh, over 4-7, uh, 205 uh, innings pitched. Um 1987, you're thinking, okay, because 86 is the year Boston wins the AL East. 87, Toronto is leading basically the entire year. The, like, you remember our 95 California Angels episode? Yes. Their collapse in 87 is not quite as drastic, but it's pretty... It's like in that Mets 2006-2007 kind of realm, or 2007-2008 kind of realm. Because for the first two-thirds of the season, they were looking like they were the team. Mm -hmm. And he was, and that was the other thing, was he was pitching great. And then, you're right, stuff just went haywire. Yeah, they, um, he had 13-9, just over a 4 ERA, 115 Ks. Um, the team goes 96-66, and 66, but I wanted to bring that up because they're up three and a half games with seven to play. Oh, yeah. They're 96 and 59, and they lose their last seven games, four of which, I think three or four of which, including the final series, were to the Tigers who ended up catching them. Because that was that Tigers team that played Kirby Puckett's team in uh, the 87 LCS, which the Twins ended up winning. But uh, 88, uh, back on track. He's an all star again, 16 and 8, 2.93 ERA, over 200 innings pitched, uh, 147 strikeouts. 89, they're finally back in the playoffs. They're finally back. They've uh, upgraded their roster to include guys like Fred McGriff and John Olrood. This is the Blue Jays team that I know. If yeah. you know what I mean, when when I think of Blue Jays with, with Steve, is, is this team, not necessarily the. 84 85 or whatever team it's it's this one which it, it's an interesting when you look back at these teams you're like oh yeah i remember that this yeah. you know <laughs> group of guys yep um the team makes the playoffs he goes 17 and 8 3.35 era over 200 innings pitched but then they get to the playoffs and they play the completely roided out future world champion oakland athletics yep and Steve pitches games one and five of this AL uh, ALCS and goes 
0-2 with an over 6.3 ERA in 11.1 innings pitched. Well, I just feel like his pitching really does not line up with steroids. No, and I think uh, the bat speed and all the muscles. Yeah. And, yeah, did, just didn't work. And no. Bl- Toronto, by this point, people are starting to kind of associate them with just choking. Yeah. I mean, choking in the playoffs. I mean, to me, this wasn't really a choke. 85 and 87 were chokes. 89 was just, okay, they're all on steroids. Yeah, it was a better team that was, you know, physically 30 pounds bigger than every single one of your other players. Um, Just a little thing that I thought was interesting about just the way these sports kind of evolved, 80s, 90s, was he was given one of the biggest contracts in the 80s. Yeah. And by the end of the 80s, early 90s, it was looked at almost like a bad contract. He's playing for free. So much so that the Blue Jays went in voluntarily and renegotiated it. And that was like the era where literally 85, it was looked at as like, whoa, that's a huge contract. 89, it was looked at as like, man, we're getting this guy for peanuts. Well, they had that whole uh, collusion thing, I think, in 87 or 88 with free agency where like, it was exposed that the... Uh, owners and management were just really colluding to not sign these players and raise salaries. And then it just exploded towards the end of the 80s, early 90s. Into what they really should have been getting paid. And yeah, that that's an interesting one. No, we that might. was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, 1990, this is probably his last successful season in the major leagues as yep. far as like being the dominant pitcher that you know he's known to be uh, makes his last all-star game 18 and 6 53 starts 2.93 era and uh, 208 in 0.2 innings pitched but 91 and 92 the back and shoulder issue start and you know who knows what his career would have been if he pitched when he was 12 would he yeah. even made the major leagues? But, you know, he's getting up there in years. 91, 92, he's probably in his, yeah, he's like in his mid-30s, 34, 35. Um, and he has, he has so many innings under his belt. That's yeah. the other thing that you have to he's realize. He's like 200 is, innings a season guy plus. Yes, yes. You know? So he's not just, you know, yeah. So he's definitely wear and tear on his body, and it's showing, and Toronto's ready to... We'll see the shame of all of it is, 91 and 92, they win the AL East both years. Yeah. And he's only limited between the two seasons to 23 starts, and he only pitches 156 innings. And this is after the Blue Jays completely shake up their roster by dealing McGriff and Fernandez for Joe Carter and Alomar so Ulrude can play more first base with McGriff gone. And everything kind of comes together, and he can't pitch in any of the postseasons, but he does earn that ring with Toronto in 92. Yeah. Like the long-awaited ring. Like, But didn't play. Get- Barely played at all in the regular season. Didn't even play in the postseason. I mean, you know, you had, I think, Jack Morris that year with Juan Guzman and Jimmy Key and David Cohn. So, I mean, there's really no room for Steve. I think a big reason why they picked up David Cohn that year at the uh, trade deadline was because... Steve wasn't going to be able to come in. Yeah, because he pitched in the National League, A, and then B, Steve isn't coming back. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like he definitely paved the road that these guys went to the World Series on, which... Oh, absolutely. it's It's one of those things where it's like this organization became able to win a World Series because he had all of these... 
years under his belt that he gave them. Jack Morris has the same mustache and is a similar pitcher, but he's in the Hall of Fame because he won those titles and is very recognizable for his postseason success. The same mustache. It's the same one. How are we not getting Steve in the Hall of Fame? It's the same mustache. And it's not even a porno mustache. No, it's more no. like a Lou Brown baseball mustache it's from Major League. It's a gentleman's stash. Yeah. Shut up, Dorn. <laughs> I don't know. I got a guy on the other on the other line about some white walls. Let me call you back. How'd you like to manage the Indians this year? But that's that's the thing is it's a it's a great '80s stash. He was a great '80s pitcher. That's the thing. And I wanted to bring this up too. This like the contract where and we touched on it earlier was he was so competitive that guys in the infield were like, oh no no no, I hated Steve. I yeah. hated him, but I loved when he was on the mound. Oh, and it was like, yeah. That's he had the- this fire in him before we get into the last part of his career. Yeah. He was a dick on the mound and not like in a necessarily bad teammate way, but like a guy boots a ball, he's not going to be happy. He'll put his hands on his hips. He talked to himself on the mound. Like, you know. I'll tell you what, Roger Dorn lasted one season. Yeah, he did. And that was it. And then he was like, hey, man. If you're going to do that out there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm, In his later years, he kind of toned it down, but he yeah. was an intense guy. And I think that's some intimidation for a pitcher, especially in that era. Like, I don't want to face him. This guy's mean as shit. Pitching on the inside, mean as shit, super. I mean, it's really, it, it's he's a great pitcher and a great pitcher in his era, which I love. Yeah. Um, so in 93, yeah, so, he goes to the White Sox, yeah. goes one and three in four starts with an over five ERA, and then retires for four seasons. He retires for four seasons, but he comes back at 40 in 1998 with those Blue Jays and pitches 19 games to finish his career. Which I love so much that he retires and pretty much just gets healthy from injury. That's kind of yeah. what he was saying was like, no, no, it took that long for my shoulder to kind of come back. And then came back and didn't pitch like, hey, look, Steve's back for yeah. a game. It was like, no, no, no. He was a pitcher in this rotation that pitched 19 games at the age of 40. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Nolan Ryan stuff. I, I mean, know. it wasn't like he was super dominant, but he no, was a competitive no. baseball player. Yeah. He wasn't there as a sideshow no. or uh, that type of thing. Hitting but, with uh, a piano leg? No, he was there as a legitimate pitcher in their rotation. Before we uh, get into uh, kind of statistical analysis here, for I was going to say, let's not get post career. We yeah. got it. We got. We got to talk about Dave Steve is one of the most unlucky pitchers, not only in the 1980s but probably in Major League Baseball history when it comes to no hitters. I can't. I can't even imagine somebody repeating what he's done. No, I mean it's pretty ridiculous. Um, from 1988 to 1990. He carried a no-hitter into the ninth inning four times. So let's start in 1988. 1988, they are playing on August 24th. The um, or Actually, the first one is August 24th, 1985. Oh. They are playing okay, the Chicago right. White Sox, and he's facing Tom Seaver. Granted, this is end of his career, Tom Seaver, but still Tom Seaver. Um, he only had four runners reach base in that game, and then Steve gave up... Two straight homers to start off the ninth inning. They were up six to zero, and then they lost, they ended up winning six to three. 1984, and this was the back to back. Yep, this is what these I... are the back to back ones. Um, September 24th, 1988. Um, they're playing in Cleveland Municipal Stadium. 
He's down to the final strike in the ninth inning. This is what blows my mind. So two outs, two strikes. Two and two count to Julio Franco. The ageless wonder, Julio Franco, playing in the 80s, 90s, aughts, probably playing under an assumed name in the last decade. God, I hope so. He hits kind of like a just a chopper to second base to Manny Lee, and it's not even Lee's fault for what happens here. I mean, and you can't score the play in air because he never even touched the ball. No. But the That's ball what sucks. bouncing hits like the lip of the infield and the infield grass and bounces over Lee's head into right center field. It is the most ridiculously unlucky play. Like and what I I kept watching it because I felt like it was in like major league where yeah. Willie Mays hits it and he goes oops like yeah, it's right? not oops. a hard hit ball it's just literally a routine K Wabell hit toward goes, the hole yeah he goes to pick it up it hits this lip and literally goes so far over his head he sees it and jumps for it and still can't like even get it which is so unbelievably unlucky it's like one of those moments it's like huh. Man, if God exists, he really does hate me. Yeah, <laughs> like, no shit. And there's no, it's not like the guy booted the ball either. It no. just bounced incorrectly and he couldn't even make a play on it after readjusting. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised. I bet this has happened before where the ball has hit the lip, but not hit the lip like this and like cleared the guy jumping. Like it is, <laughs> it's quite the scene. And it's not, and it just keeps getting even more disturbing. Because, like, okay, the first one, there's no outs in the ninth inning. You give up two dingers. Shit happens. Yep. This one, you're one strike away. Then in the next game, his very next start, by the way, this isn't like, you know, a year or two removed. This is September a week down 30th, the road or whatever. Yeah, yeah. September 30th, they had a 4-0 lead in the ninth inning. All he's got is one walk and a hit by pitch. And on a 2-2 count, again with two outs, Jim Traber hits a soft liner over Fred McGriff. The damn Orioles. The, the announcers in that game were just, oh, just God. like, no, yeah. no. Like, it is so funny because they're just like, like again? Those, like, you ever see that high school Texas football comeback where those announcers are like, good gosh almighty, no. Yes, yes seriously. That's like, no, the town's going to go down from here. It's so much Labatt drinking that night in Toronto. Oh, everyone. my oh. God. You, and the look on his face, the first one, you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the worst luck. The look on his face with this ball that's just like a, a single, a hit ball, he's just like, are you kidding? You know what? If he pulled an Antonio Brown and just started taking his clothes off at the mound, I don't think anyone would have blamed him. Walks off. Yeah, just walked off and said, like, fuck it. I'm done. Fuck this shit. And that's the thing is, not only does he, these no-hitters get broken up, but his shutouts get broken up. He ends up like, yeah, these games exactly. are... And it, I mean, he's getting complete games out of these, but you're sh yeah, you're right. You're, I mean, some of them, though, they did uh, end up winning um, this game in a shutout. They did. It, yeah. Oh, the first one. Yeah. yeah. The first one, you know, giving up the giving two up dingers. Giving up dingers, yeah. But, I'm just saying, like, he, he has the most unlucky... I, I can't even imagine somebody losing two games like this. So throughout their entire career, losing two no-hitters like this, let alone back-to-back, -back, so, let alone three no-hitters in the ninth inning. But there's one more. I know. That a lot of people don't know about. There's one more. And it's even more soul-crushing. <laughs> August 4th, 1989. They're playing oh, the Yankees. It's, uh, I think it's Sky Dome at this point, not Exhibition Stadium, but they're in Toronto. The Yankees. Eight innings, eight innings pitched, nine strikeouts. Two more strikeouts in the ninth. He is one out away 
from a perfect game. So, Not a no-hitter, a perfect game. That's the thing about these early ones was I think there was one error in like three walks, and yeah. then he hit a guy, and there was a walk. So they weren't perfect games, but here we go with his last 20, one building up. You're 26 up out of the 27 down that you need, and Roberto Kelly lines the ball into left field. <laughs> And, it's and just breaks never up gonna, the perfect game. It's never going to happen for him. But however, because he is a goddamn champion, Dave Steeb in 1990 finally does it. Yes. September 2nd, 1990, pitches that elusive no-hitter, nine strikeouts, four walks, obviously, because it's not a perfect game, but uh, gets Jerry Brown on a fly ball to Junior Phoenix, Felix in right field, and closes out the first no-hitter in Blue Jays history. Yeah. Not only that, the 30th shutout of his career and the last one, I believe, of his career, which is pretty goddamn incredible. No, yeah, he was a great pitcher. And just the the bad luck to have four no-hitters die in the ninth and then actually get one is pretty awesome at the end especially being the last yeah but i mean if i'm correct if say he locks them all down i mean like say he gets four extra no hitters or three extra no hitters and a perfect game yeah that's five that's more than anybody but nolan ryan in major league baseball history which is incredible he would make the hall of fame on that that's the thing that you look at might yeah i mean even though he doesn't have the playoff you know, stuff. I'm just saying, like, if he had five and five, yeah, I'm just saying. But he, he's yeah. it's such a rough thing. Uh, but he, he really retired as Toronto's leader in like every pitching stat. Yeah, like the only guy who's really in front of him now is the late Roy Halladay, who's in the Hall of Fame. Um, but after his career, his number 37 was, I guess, retired. It's in the Blue Jays level of excellence. But yep. Seven time All Star, 176 and 137. 3.44 ERA, 103 complete games, and 30 shutouts. For a, basically a decade's worth of work, that's pretty damn impressive. Yes. That is really impressive. And over 2,800 innings pitched, um, 1,669 strikeouts, and also five times led the major leagues in hit-by-pitches, which speaks to his competitive nature. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Dave Steeb, everyone. Hope you guys enjoy it. <laughs> 